about the hymn sing. Um, no, it really is good to be here with you. Um, yeah, I have not stood up for a long period of time on my foot. I took my ibuprofen, so I should be okay, but if you see me doing this or I'm not being slain in the spirit or I'm not anything like that, I'm just trying to get comfortable. Sean was nice, nice enough to put a stool back here, so if I need to get on that, I will, hopefully without falling, although that would be pretty memorable. <clears throat> So Mike and Kathy are obviously not here. They're on their way back or back? They're on their way back. Anyway, they've been in Colorado uh, for a week enjoying the beautiful weather and the aspens and the elk bugling. And So he may not come back. I don't know. We'll see. Okay. Uh, if you're new to the church, you may not know. I was in the Air Force uh, for 27 years and got to see lots of fun places and got to see some not-so-fun places. And one of those not-so-fun places was Iraq. And I was stationed there in 2006, and we didn't have ready access to the Internet, so we got one 15-minute phone call, and you could email periodically. Sometimes it worked, and sometimes it didn't. <clears throat> Excuse me. And this was really before the days of Spotify. Spotify was a thing in 2006, but it wasn't like a widespread thing. And so we listened to Armed Forces Radio quite a bit. And I don't know if it was one of the DJs or if it was the station manager, or, but somebody that had control over the radio station in, in Baghdad was a big Tim McGraw fan because they played a lot, a lot of his music. And at the risk of offending some people, I'm not a huge country fan. Yeah, I'm sorry. If that discounts whatever else I'm going to say, then that's just the price of it. But, but you know what? After eight months, I was kind of warming up to Tim McGraw because <laughs> we had heard tons of his music. And uh, one of the songs that they would play really consistently was Live Like You Were Dying. And that was the title uh, track to his 2004 album of the same name. It was a really popular song. And don't panic. I'm not going to sing it to you. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, that would, be, that would be cruel and unusual punishment. I'm sure that's, I'm sure that's illegal. But the song, it chronicles uh, Tim McGraw's conversation with a 42-year-old man. And the 42-year-old guy has gotten a terminal diagnosis, a potentially terminal diagnosis. And so Tim McGraw is talking to him. He says, well, what, how, did you, how did you deal with that? What did you do? How do you process that? And, and the guy launches into the song, right? And, and, and so he says, I checked some things off my bucket list. I'm paraphrasing the song, by the way. Yeah, Alan's back there just cringing because it's like, you're mangling the song. Just bear with me. There's a point to this. We're going to get there. And so the guy says, I checked some things off my bucket list. So I went skydiving, and I went climbing in the Rockies, and I went bull riding, and I went 2.7 seconds on a bull named Fu Manchu, which is a great name for a bull. Right? And then the guy says, I changed my attitude about some things, and I, and I gave forgiveness where I'd been withholding it, and I spoke uh, better. Right? I was a better husband and a better father. And, um, and then he says, I got around to reading the good book. I'm assuming that was the Bible, right? Code for the Bible. Um, and he took a look. It says he took a good, hard look at his life before the diagnosis and what he would do differently. And then part of the chorus is, I hope one day you get the chance to live like you were dying, right? Now, I'm pretty sure he was not wishing a terminal illness on 
Tim McGraw. But instead, what he was saying is, there was a singular event in my life, and it changed the trajectory of my life. Everything from that point forward was different. And it changed the way I thought about things. It changed the way I did things. And it changed my life for the better. I'm a better person because of this event. And so, if you'll, if you'll bear with me, coming to faith in Christ is a singular event like that. And it should change the trajectory of our lives. It should change everything that comes after that. Now, maybe you grew up in the church and you can't pinpoint the day that you came to faith in Christ. Maybe you can't say, you can't circle it on the calendar. That was actually Ruth Bell Graham's testimony, right? Ruth Bell Graham said, I never knew a day when I didn't know Christ. Okay, but at some point, there comes a time when either you get serious about your faith or, or you come to the realization that you have faith. And everything after that point should change. It should be different. So faith in Christ, if you'll uh, bear with me, it's a terminal diagnosis for our old man. It's a death sentence, actually, for our old man. But it's a new lease on life for the regenerate person. And so that's what I want to talk about today. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 3. If you want to turn there in your Bible or on your app. And just to set chapter 3 up a little bit. So in chapter 1, Paul is responding to a heresy in the, in the Colossian church. And he doesn't name the heresy. He doesn't say exactly what it is. But it seems to have something to do with the supremacy and the sufficiency of Christ. So is, is Christ really divine? And is he enough for salvation? Is it Jesus plus something? Whatever that is, uh, keeping the law, keeping the dietary restrictions, or is it just Jesus? And so Paul's going to respond to that. And in chapter 1, there's this beautiful doxology where Paul talks about how Christ is, everything was created by him, that he is in all and above all, how the fullness of God dwells in Jesus Christ and how all things are reconciled through him. So he's going to spend some time in chapter 1 saying Jesus is the pinnacle of everything. In chapter 2, he's going to take on some, some actual things. It appears they were dietary laws that they were, um, maybe it was the Judaizers and they were trying to get them to to follow the dietary laws. Because he's going to say, why do you follow rules? Why do you uh, let people tell you what to eat or what not to eat? And then in chapter 3, he's going to turn to, he's going to keep talking about the supremacy of Christ. That's a thread that runs all the way through chapter 3. But he, he's going to turn from what's a more theological treatment of it to what is a practical outworking of it. And so because you're this, you're this new person, because you're in Christ, this is how you should live your lives. So he begins by saying, so if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Now, there is a lot to unpack in just those four verses. Actually, we could spend all of our time 
just on that passage. But we're not going to. So Paul says, uh, he says if, but he's not questioning necessarily their beliefs. This should be read to understand. Since you have been raised with Christ, seek the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Because you have been raised with Christ, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. And this has a dual meaning. And the way it helped me understand the first meaning was via the story of Mary and Martha. It's told in the Gospel of Luke, right? And so if you're familiar with the story, Jesus goes to Bethany and he goes to the house of Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. And he, he comes in and Mary sits at his feet. And listens to him teach, and she's looking at him. In the meantime, Martha is running around getting things ready for her guest. And, and she's frustrated because Mary is not helping. Mary is sitting and listening it to Jesus. And, and Martha is running around. And finally she has enough, and she goes to Jesus, and she says, Would you please tell, I'm paraphrasing, Would you please tell Mary to help me with the chores? Because I'm running around crazy and she's not doing anything she's she's sitting there and this is what he says to her this is what he says to Martha he says Martha Martha you are worried and upset about many things but one thing is necessary Mary has made the right choice one thing is necessary and Mary has made the right choice and it will not be taken away from her so listen, Martha wasn't doing anything inherently sinful. And in fact, she was doing what the culture expected of her. Hospitality was a big deal in first century Jewish culture. And so she's preparing things for her guests, right? And this, just, this wasn't just any guest. This was Jesus. And, and, but what does he say? What does he say? You're worried about many things. One thing was necessary. Mary chose the right thing. And that was to focus on Christ, to sit at his feet and to listen. Guys, we live in a crazy busy world. And there are lots of things we can fill our time with that are not sinful, that are good things. But are they necessary things? Are they the one things? Are they things that help us to seek above and set our minds on things above you know you can always tell what your priorities are by your by your checkbook and your calendar mike has said that a few times and i've said that a few times get your checkbook out and get your calendar out and you can you can tell what your priorities are that's that's true for all of us okay if, if there's no margin in our schedules to sit to have quiet times to to focus on jesus to read his word, to, to listen to what he's saying to us through the spirit, that's a problem. That's a problem. And we need to, we need to readjust our priorities. This has another meaning, and this kind of goes back to the heresy that Paul is trying to address. So a lot of times we want to make things Jesus plus, right? We want to focus on uh, religious observance, following the rules. You should follow the rules, okay? I'm not saying don't follow the rules. But that's not salvation. That's not salvation. You know, Mike has said several times from here, religion gets you nothing. 
We don't want to be religious people. If that's what people can say about us, is that we're religious people, we've missed it. We've missed the mark. And so that's what Paul is saying. He's saying, you know, there is one name given under heaven by which we must be saved, and that name is Jesus. And it's Jesus full stop. Okay? We talked a little bit about this in Sunday school. Which, actually, if you're not in Sunday school, would you please come, the adult Sunday school? Because it's really, been really good. So I see a bunch of heads nodding. Not because I have anything to do with it, but it's a really good video series. So you should come. But yeah, we, we can get caught up in all this other stuff that we want to add to the gospel, and that's not the gospel. We can, we can be busy doing good things and not do the one thing that is necessary, right? The, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they were the most religious people of the day, and they completely missed Jesus. Completely. Okay? So we don't want to be like that. We want to, we want to be more like Mary, and we want to be focused on what we should be. And then Paul's going to continue on, and he's going he's to express a truth that I think we kind of gloss over, and I think we gloss over it to our detriment. And I'll try to explain that. He's, he's going to say, For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And that's going to set up what he's going to talk about in the, in the rest of the chapter. You died. When you came to faith in Christ, you died. Your old person died. He, he makes this more explicit in Romans 6. And this is what he says. He says, for we know that our old self was crucified with him, him being Jesus, so that the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin since a person who has died is free from sin. Okay, so in Colossians he's saying you died to sin, you died, your old self died. In Romans he's saying you died to sin, okay? What's the problem with that? The practical problem with that? Is, is a lot of times I want to resuscitate that guy that's dead, right? Well, either he wants to come back to life or, or I want to resuscitate him. And so I think what we miss is, is and Paul's going to, he's going to explain this to us, but that guy's dead. We should consider him dead. We should consider the things that belong to him dead. They don't belong to me any longer. They don't have any power over me. Now, I'm not saying we can reach perfection. I'm not, that is not true. Because Paul, and even Paul in Philippians 3 says, I have not attained Right, I keep going, but those things don't have to hold us back. So Paul's going to tell us he's going to say he's going to put to death. Let me read out of here. Um, Therefore, put to death what belongs to your earthly nature, what belongs to that old that old dead guy on the cross. Put those things to death, and these are sins that are mainly of a sexual nature. This first list, and sexual immorality impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. So the word for put to death, or the Greek phrase for put to death, uh, it can mean to smother. So, you're, you know, in the, in the movies or TV, somebody's going to, they're going to kill somebody in there. Gonna, I apologize if this is really graphic for kids. Uh, if you want to plug your kids' ears. Um, 
I was thinking through this. I'm like, oh, should I? But I'm going to say it. Sorry, sorry. You know, they, they take the pillow, right? And they, and they put it over the person's head and then they apply some force. And, and then what happens usually in the movies? The person starts thrashing, and, right? Sexual sin can be a lot like that, right? We're, we're trying to kill it and it doesn't want to die. It wants to keep going. It wants to live. It wants to. And so what does that mean? It means you have to apply some force. You have to be ruthless and relentless. You have to push down on that pillow until that thing is dead. And you do that because it has been crucified. Those things belong to a crucified body. They don't belong to us any longer. Okay, and then he talks about, so he lists sexual sins, and then he talks about greed, which is idolatry. And greed is kind of the, it's kind of the, it's the one ring, if you will, uh, of sins. It's the one that binds them together. It kind of, all these other sins feed. <laughs> See, you saw what I did there. Good. Somebody's paying attention. But it's the thing that feeds, greed is the thing that feeds the other, the other sins. A lot of times we think of greed as money, right? So we think greedy Wall Street or greedy corporate executives because they just want money. And really, in the biblical sense, it's a grasping after something that you think you're entitled to. It's a grasping after something you don't have, you think God owes you. And so it really is a form of idolatry because it puts us at the center. It says, I'm owed this thing, and I'm going to do whatever it takes to get this thing. And that can manifest in sexual sin. So, okay, Paul, that's up to verse 8. You guys with me so far? Yeah? Everybody's hanging in there? Okay. Paul's going to switch metaphors in verse 8. Before, he's been talking about put to death, kill these things that belong to this old nature. And now he's going to talk about take off these things. He's going to give us another list. Take off these things and put these things on. And the, the image that that's meant to evoke is one of taking off clothes and putting on other clothes. And so you think the, the parable of the prodigal son will help you get an idea of what Paul's talking about. So the prodigal son, he spends his dad's money on sexual sin, right? On sexual sin. And he, he comes to his senses. <clears throat> excuse me. He comes to his senses, and he immediately says he's going to go to his father. He doesn't go take a shower. He doesn't do anything. He gets up. So he's got robes that are muddy, they've got pig slop on them, they've probably got pig crap on them, excuse my language. Um, and, he, and he goes to his father, those robes are nasty, those things are disgusting. And he goes to his father, and, and the father takes those nasty robes off and gives him the robe of the firstborn son. Right? Gives him another robe. And so that's kind of the idea that Paul is saying. Take off these nasty pig-stained clothes which belong to this old person who's dead anyway, and put on these new things, these things that come from Christ, these things that belong to the new nature that is who you really are. Okay, so he's going to say, but now put away all the following, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and filthy language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on and have put on the new self, 
you are being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your creator. So I love, God has a sense of humor, right? <clears throat> so I love how he, he does this. So I'm in the, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm in the edition studying for this message and some kid drives up into our parking lot and starts doing donuts. So I have just read, put away anger. <laughs> and so what do I do? Do I put away anger? Not a chance. <laughs> Not a chance. So I, yeah, I hobble out, you know, and, and I point at this kid. And I don't know if I said something. I could have said something. But anyway, he just looks at me and, and doesn't do anything and then drives off, okay? Put, put away anger. So I, I absolutely objectly failed to do what, what Paul is saying. Um, but it was a good lesson. It was a good lesson for me. So Paul says, put it away. And what happens in that moment? Guys, my blood pressure was high, right? I was, my stomach was, was tightening up, right? Not because I'm doing crunches or anything, but because I, I was mad. If I could have caught that kid, I, I probably would have embarrassed you guys and, and chased him down, but I couldn't, okay? Paul says, put that away. That is toxic. And we're going to find out in a minute, you know, Paul is leading up to, because you're new people and you belong to a covenant community, you need to do things that contribute to that covenant community, to the health and the unity of that covenant community. These things don't. Anger doesn't. You know, did it feel good in the moment when I hobbled after that kid and, and pointed my finger at him? For 15 seconds, it felt good. And then I'm like, okay, really? So Paul says, put away anger and wrath. And in this passage, like in a lot of Paul's letters, they're combined or they're close. And um, So Paul is not talking only about the kind of anger that I expressed with that young man. Um, in the parking lot, but he's talking about the kind of anger because these two Greek words, they carry sort of the idea of judgment and an, an implacable anger. So if you think of when God was mad with the Israelites and he told them, you're not going into the promised land because you've disobeyed me, because you didn't do what I said, that's kind of that form of anger. It's a form of anger that wants judgment or punishment for somebody. And maybe you say, well, I don't. I don't have that kind of anger, but guys, think about the couple of years that we have come through the last couple of years and think of people imposing COVID restrictions. And when you think about those people, what comes to mind? When you, when you hear somebody, like in Sunday school, when you hear somebody like Bart Campolo saying, trade up because you don't have a better God, what, what comes to your mind? When, when you hear somebody shouting their abortion, what, what comes to mind? Often it's the type of anger, right, that is reserved for God. Paul's saying, put that away. That is reserved for God because God is the only one that can express that perfectly and justly. Most of the time we do it, it looks like vindictiveness, and it's harmful. It's harmful to us, and it's harmful to the community around us. So Paul's saying, put that away. And then he's going to say malice. Malice is just kind of a, it's a weird word. We don't use it very often. It's just kind of this malevolent feeling. I hate you. I want bad things to happen to you. Put that away as well. 
And then he uses a, an interesting term, so he says slander. And the Greek word for slander is blasphemy. It's closely related to blasphemy. And so it kind of carries the idea of not bearing false witness. Well, where have we heard that before? It's the ninth commandment. Don't bear false witness. And so Paul, Paul is saying, he says, because people bear the image of God, when we slander them, when we bear false witness, we are in essence committing blasphemy against God. Okay? And then he's going to end this. He's going to say, remove filthy language from our mouths. Okay, and this is kind of the, the binding term for this list, just like greed was. And Paul is not only, he's not only saying we shouldn't run around telling sexual jokes, we shouldn't be dropping the F-bomb, we shouldn't be doing those types of things, but Paul is saying, don't let, don't let dehumanizing, abusive speech come out of your mouth. It has no place. It has no place in a new, regenerate person. This, James kind of illustrates both the blasphemy point and this one. He says, uh, in chapter 5, verse 9, James says, With the tongue we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in God's likeness. Blessing and cursing come out of the same mouth. My brothers and sisters, these things should not be this way. All right? We should, there should be, our speech should be seasoned with grace, and too often it's not. And so we should be very careful about how we're speaking because we don't want filthy language to come out of our mouths. It doesn't belong to the new man. And then in this passage, Paul's going to say something which I think is interesting. It seemed kind of like a throwaway line, but it's not. He says, don't lie to one another. So he's given this list. He says, don't let any filthy talk remove it from your mouth. And then he says, do not lie to one another. And he expressly says, don't lie because you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. You are being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your creator. So don't lie to one another. Now, we can lie to each other for lots of reasons. Um, people ask me how I hurt my foot. And I said, do you want the truth or do you want the lie that I've been telling everyone? Because the truth is pretty, pretty silly. Right? We, can, we can lie to make ourselves look better. We can lie to pad our resume. We can lie to save ourselves some embarrassment. But there's another more important way that we can lie to each other. And, and that's that we can withhold spiritual truth from each other. We can we not bring, you know, it would be easy for Mike or Kent or I um, well, maybe not in this group, but in another church, it might be easy for, for somebody to just come up here with platitudes and just not tell you the whole counsel of God. That, that's not what we're supposed to be doing. We can lie to each other by withholding somebody. You can see a brother and sister, brother or sister, headed towards sin, and you don't say anything. You lie to them. Right? The sin won't harm you. It's fine. It's okay. God's, God's not going to judge. God will forgive you. And, and all that may be true, but we can say that there are no consequences to that sin. 
Paul was, uh, when he was going to Jerusalem, and he's going to be arrested, and he called the Ephesians elders to him to say goodbye, and it's a tearful goodbye on the beach. And, and this is what he says. He says, I am innocent of the blood of all men because I did not fail to tell you the whole counsel of God. And, and what about us? Are, are we in the habit of withholding things? Either because we want to protect a relationship or maybe somebody comes to us and we don't know what God's word says about this thing that they're saying. And, and it could be easy to lie. Paul says don't do it. Don't lie to each other because you've been renewed. Because you're being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your creator. Okay, so up to this point, Paul's been talking to the Colossians on an individual basis. Do these things. And he's going to introduce some community things that we need to do. This, since you're a new person, since you're a regenerate, new creature, creation, uh, this is how you need to work that out in community. And he's going to introduce that community in verse 11. And he's going to say, uh, In Christ there is not Greek and Jew, circumcision and uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. So this is just simply another way of Paul saying that the gospel is diverse. There are all kinds of people that are going to be in the kingdom. There's going to be Jews and Greeks. There's going to be Scythians and barbarians. There's going to be slave and free. And, and none of those distinctions make any difference because Christ is all and in all. Okay, so it's just another way for him to say, you're part of this new community. This community is made up of lots of different believers. And because of that, this is how you're supposed to work out both your newness of life in Christ and the newness of this community. You're supposed to work it out. So he's going to say, therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dear, holy, H-O-L-I, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another, if anyone has a grievance against another, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also are to forgive. Now this is the antithesis of the other list that Paul has given us. All these things contribute to biblical, faithful community where the other ones didn't. So Paul's going to say, put on compassion. And, and this is just a, it's a, Compassion is just a deep feeling for one another. It's compassion. Have compassion on one another. Kindness. Just, and that's exactly what it sounds like in English. Kindness. Just be nice. Be nice to each other. Be kind. Humility. We could spend a lot of time on humility, right? Humility is kind of the, the, the linchpin between these lists. It's kind of the connecting thing. Because if you don't have humility, excuse me, you don't have humility, gosh, I can't say that word, you won't do any of these other things. The, the humility that thinks of others before yourself, the kind of humility that Paul talks about in Philippians 2 that Jesus had, right? In Colossians, Paul says Jesus is the pinnacle of everything, and in Philippians, Paul says Jesus put all that aside and came and served everyone took the lowest place and died. 
And we're to have that same type of humility. That can be a tough sell for a lot of us, right? Gentleness. You know, gentleness is, we're not all in the same place. We're not, we've all been Christians for, for different lengths of time. We don't all have the same opportunities to study the Bible uh, that some of us do. And so just be gentle with each other. If there's a, if there's a, tr- sometimes I will counsel, usually teenagers or young guys, and I'll be counseling them, and, and we've had this discussion, we've had the same discussion over and over and over again, right? And, and part of me just wants to go, why can't you get this? Why can't you understand? You know, and sometimes I will say, you know, I just, I don't have any more to give you. I have given you the truth that I can. You just don't want to accept it. I can do that in a harsh manner, or I can do that in a gentle manner. And we can be that way with each other, right? Patience. Kind of the same thought. We need to be patient with each other. And he says, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a grievance against another. And, and this is, he's going to double down, triple down, whatever you want to call it. He says, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are also to forgive. I'm going to read that again. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also are to forgive. Guys, what, what has Jesus, what will Jesus not forgive? Other than blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, what will Jesus not forgive? How many times you come to Christ in genuine repentance and he doesn't forgive? says, well, that was, that's one more time, and that's it. You're, you're out of here. It, it doesn't happen, right? It doesn't happen. And, and we are to forgive each other the same way, okay? We're, we're to forgive each other. There shouldn't be anything, anything you do to me that I cannot forgive. And, and a lot of times, we don't, operate that way. You offend me or somebody says an offhand comment and, and, and I'm out of here. And it should not be that way. Okay, then Paul's going to say, over all this, above everything, put on love. Okay, put on love. And the Greek word for love here is agape. It says it's the per. Put on, above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. So Paul's talking, this is, not a, this is not a sentimental, sappy kind of love. This is not a, we have common interests, and I like you, which is true, right? We have common interests, I like you. I hope, that, I hope there's a lot of that in this fellowship, but that's not what he's talking about. You know, this is talking about sacrificial, costly love. This is talking about the times when I offend you and you offend me, when I hurt you and you hurt me, when I've said something insensitive or I've done something insensitive or, or the elders have made a decision that you just absolutely disagree with, this is the kind of love that keeps us hanging in there with each other. It's, it's, it's a covenant. It's a kind of a marital love, actually, right? It's that we've made a, we've made a covenant with each other and death is the only way you're getting out of here. Right? It's, if I don't like the music, I'm not leaving. I'm hanging, hanging in with you. 
if, if we have annoying habits because I love you, because love is the perfect bond of peace, I'm hanging in there. I'm not going anywhere. And neither are you. That's what Paul is saying. Guys, that love is costly. That love costs you something. And you know what else? That love gets people's attention. When they see, uh, if somebody comes in here and they see the body acting like that or, or you're out and about in the community and you, you're talking about your church and, and it's characterized by that type of love, people notice that. That gets their attention because that is so opposite of the way the world loves. And unfortunately, it's opposite of the way a lot of churches operate and a lot of churches love. Okay, we're almost, you guys with me? We're closing in on the end. Okay, Paul, he's going he's gonna to finish up this section. He's going to say, let the peace of Christ to which you are called, excuse me, to which you are also called in one body, rule your hearts and be thankful. Okay, so we were called to peace because, right, we're crucified with Christ and we have peace with God. And so we should have peace with each other. And that peace should rule. That should be the defining deciding thing in our life, peace. We should seek it. We should sacrifice for it. We should try to maintain it to the extent that we're able. And then he's going to say, let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through him. So let the word of God dwell richly in you. Guys, I cannot speak today. That also has a dual meaning. So it's not only that we need to know what God says, what Jesus says. Uh, we need to pay attention to what he says, right? So we, which means what? You guys need to be reading your Bible. Half of your sleep. <laughs> yeah. You need, to, you need to be reading the scripture so that you know what God says. How can God's word dwell richly in you if you never open the Bible, you're never exposed to it, you never pay any attention to it? It can't. Right? It's, a, it's an impossibility. Uh, and, and the other meaning of this is, we talked about this kind of in Sunday school, is, you know, it's that Jesus is the Logos. Jesus is the word of God. And so this kind of goes back to Paul's first statement. Seek the things above where God is seated. What do we need, we need, what do we need to be doing? We need to be letting Christ through the spirit dwell in us and, and let that life of Christ in us come out. We need to be letting his word dwell richly in us. Okay, and then Paul's going to end this. He's going to say um, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And maybe you're like me. You know, I don't have a good voice, so congregational singing is not my, not my favoritist thing to do. And sorry to Bill. This is my revenge for the... No. Um, and, but Paul says that completely misses the point. That completely misses the point. Because he says, 
Let me find it. Okay, he says, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Okay, so the psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, it doesn't matter about your voice, those flow out of gratitude. Those are an outpouring of gratitude in your heart. Because you've let God's word dwell richly in you, because you're putting these things off, because you're becoming renewed, all these things, it, it manifests in gratitude, right? Who, who, who does not have something to be grateful to God for? Right? No matter what you walked in here with, okay, no matter what happened, you have, if you have salvation, that is enough. That is enough. To sing with gratitude in our hearts. Doesn't matter what your voice sounds like. Doesn't matter if you like singing or you don't like singing or if you you want to sing hymns all the time or you want to sing praise me. None of that matters. It's all about expressing gratitude to God. Okay, and then Paul's going to conclude. He says, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the, in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You know, a lot of times we, d- we divide secular and, and the sacred, and God doesn't make any that kind of distinction. So everything you do, everything you do at school, at work, at home, at church, pulling weeds in the yard, changing diapers, whatever that is, you know, even if it's a mundane task and, and you've done it a thousand times before, do all things to the glory of God. Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, excuse me, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You know, the Westminster Shorter Catechism, the, fir- the, very, first, the very first question and answer is, what is the chief end of man? Anybody know the answer? To glorify God, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Right? And that's what we're going to be doing in heaven. Right? That's what we're going to be doing in heaven. So, all right, I'm going to ask the worship band to come up and we're going to recite Ephesians 4. And guys, I'm going to I'm going to channel my Tim McGraw here at the end. I'm not going to sing. Don't panic. Don't panic. Um is, you know what, I, I don't hope something bad happens to you, but I hope that not through what I said, but what through God said to you, that you get the opportunity to live these verses out. That as you're going about your week, that you, that God somehow calls this to mind, and you realize who you are in Christ and what you've been given, and that you get the opportunity to live as the new person and not the old, old dead one. So if you would stand with me, we're going to, Recite Ephesians 4. <clears throat> 